2: Opinion
3: Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96FM. 185715996 is the number. The text and WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. Twitter is at Opinion Line 96. And the, tech, uh, the Facebook page is the Corks 96FM Facebook that sends you messages for the attention of the opinion. And if you're can. If you wondering what I'm a bit confused and a bit fuddled about as I start. Where do you start? Where do you start? Record numbers. Our numbers are crazy for COVID at this point. And if we're not sent up into level three tomorrow, we'll be sent up in definitely in there by, by the weekend. I'd, I'd nearly put money on it at, at this stage. What the hell happened with the leaving cert? Why did they keep it to themselves? For a week, what on earth is going on down at the Mercy Hospital? It's crazy down there. Uh, the ED is rammed. They're still open, but they're rammed. Uh, if anybody's been through there in the last 24 hours, I'd appreciate knowing uh, what, what's going on. And I promise you when we're talking about the leaving search, I won't use words you don't understand, like algorithm. Forget it. When you see the word algorithm, it just means a little bit of maths, a little bit of computer code, and that works on data. And turns it around. That's what it is. It's a little computer program. That, that's that's what it is. It's nothing more than that. All right. Well, yesterday afternoon, we got word. I got remember a, a text message with a screen grab. I think it was Stephanie Preisner's tweet. Actually, someone like that anyway had tweeted that they'd heard something coming out of the Department of Education. Not someone you'd expect to be watching the Department of Education closely at all had done this oh god what's this and then at four o'clock it came
4: on Wednesday last the secretary general of the department of education and skills told me that a mistake had been spotted by the Canadian company developing the statistical software for our students data we knew one line out of 50,000 lines of code had a mistake in it we knew that mistake would impact on the results of some students It was important to find out as much as possible about the error before making an announcement. Polymetrica and the department staff therefore began a detailed analysis of 50,000 lines of code affecting more than 400,000 exam results. It became clear that approximately 6,500 students had received a grade lower than they ought to have received. While we do not yet have the final figures, our checks to date indicate that the error has affected approximately 7,200 grades.
3: Wow. Okay. 7,200 grades, over 6,000 students. Effectively, what they did was they had a line of code that was wrong. Uh, the direct quote is the algorithm used for standardizing grades was supposed to take Irish, English, Maths and your best results from two other subjects into account. An algorithm is a bit of maths, a bit of code that takes a bit of data, turns it around and gives you a result. And one of those was wrong and coded wrong in the, 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 the system as a result to which loads of people were affected. Donica O'Leary is uh, Sinn Féin's uh, spokesman on education and, of course, Cork South Central to the... good morning. Uh, Donnake? Oh, it's on the other line. All right, OK, he's on three. Donnake, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Now, is this a shambles? Is there somebody or something to blame? Or is it just something that happened?
5: Um, yes, yes and no, I suppose it would be the answer to those questions. Um, look we've spoken before like the leaving for class of 2020 my god like we can all remember leaving certain it's never an easy year but this class has been really through the mill when you think of the confusion the delay the postponement the cancellation the controversy around school profiling uh, the failure to disclose what the model was and now this Um, the minister said sorry and she's bloody right to have said sorry because Really, this is, um, like, it is so difficult on the students who are affected, and this is still causing anxiety and uncertainty. And perhaps, you know, it will even result in students having to to move uh, after a change of course and things like that. It isn't acceptable. Uh, I think that there are huge questions that the minister needs to answer. we called for her to come into the dial yesterday. She didn't do so, but she had Lent and she's coming in today. Um, so there's a lot of questions I'd be putting to her. We still don't have confirmation that every student who was affected by this particular error um, will get a third-level place this year. That's unacceptable. There is no doubt in my mind that the only solution, the only game and down here, is to ensure that those students get the places that they were rightfully entitled.
3: Now, already know, the know. CAO have said... That the offers, the third round offers are are going ahead as of today. The problem is that in a something like arts in Ucc, creating a few more places, well, it's an issue, but not a huge one. But take medicine or take electrical engineering or some one of those where the place numbers are tight as it is, like how do you do that? How do you fit in three more people that have automa- that have just qualified because of this? Well, look, I mean, uh, first of
5: all, I think if we had begun the process of trying to expand third-level places in May, as we advocated, as was part of our alternative to uh, the leaving service, and instead of this calculated grades model, which we never agreed with, and I might come back to that, um, then we would be in a much stronger position. The fact is that the expansion of third-level has really just been a, a rush job right at the last minute, and universities have had to pull places uh, out of a hat, really, just trying to pull them together as quickly as they could and some progress has been made on that. But the fact is it was left right to the last minute. That shouldn't have happened. In a lot of instances, some of the issues around course numbers and how many need to be there isn't actually a question of physical space. It's a question of the personnel that's involved in it because it's not just about how many can fit into a lecture and listen to a lecture. It's about tutorials. It's about feedback. It's about quick feedback. It's about quick marking uh, in reasonable time and that the students get adequate feedback. Yeah. So in many instances, I do believe that these issues can be resolved by, yes, if there's physical space needed then that needs to be looked at, but probably more often, especially in the current context of remote learning, it's additional personnel that is needed. However it is done it needs to be done. We cannot expect these students, uh, it may be up to a thousand students, we don't know exactly how many, that may be at the higher end of it. Uh, Hopefully it is less than that. And obviously it will be dispersed around different disciplines and different courses like that. Um, But however it is done, it isn't a reasonable expectation to say that students should spend a year in purgatory to to be, you know, they could be started a course uh, and find out that a very different course uh, has been offered them. That was their dream course. They're going to do it next year. Then how can they mm-hmm. motivate?
3: Well, then, like I've spoken to countless people on and off air. Who one young woman I spoke to, she pretty much guessed she wouldn't get her first choice. So she kind of her heart set on her second. She ended up with her seventh. Like, what happens if her her course is full that she wanted? And what happens if this regrading? puts her into a qualification for it, like, quali- qualifies her. What happens then? What do you do for that person?
5: Well, I think that, like, I mean, if I am understand the point that you're making, that this student would be offered a higher choice than the one that they took up, then absolutely they should get it. Like, I don't think we can expect students to just put off their lives for a year or do a year of course that they won't be finishing or to expect them to go
3: and find work that just isn't there. Like, just no, isn't the, pro- the practicalities there. of that are something to be worked out I suppose at a higher higher pay grade than mine or maybe even yours but it, it's a difficult one. On the fact that on the it fact is of the matter that and let's remind ourselves again the Minister openly admitted that this information was in her hands for a week and she did nothing publicly with it she kept it to herself did she even tell the Taoiseach which she did they kept it through cabinet Tuesday we find out yesterday like if it wasn't for Alan Kelly of the Labour Party standing up in the doll yesterday and asking the question and you were there I assume you were there did you realize he was going to ask that question did you for example as an education spokesman have any idea this was happening
5: no, we weren't informed, and nor were some of the Cabinet colleagues. I know that there were some ministers that only found out in the media They tell us that there was a press conference scheduled for 4pm uh, uh, anyway, that this was all was planned. But look, I mean, you just have to be... We have no way of knowing that, truthfully. Um, and it shouldn't have have came to this, uh, that it was so late in the day that we found out. What's more, look, I mean, the minister said she needed to find out and she needed to talk to people and all the rest of it, but the students didn't know. Third-level institutions didn't know. They all found out yesterday. So, like, I mean, what was the purpose of taking all this time, and I'm not sure what she did with it, especially keeping it from cabinet colleagues, from the the other leaders of coalition partners, uh, and from most of all the students who were affected by this. I think it was wrong. Uh, I think as soon as there was a problem uh, after, you know, after a fairly short period of time, really, it should have been disclosed because this has been an issue of national controversy for for months at this stage and, you know, confidence in it has been been severely tested uh, and this undermines it uh, an awful lot further and I think there was a need to be full and frank with the Doyle with the public and most of all with the students, and that that didn't happen, and I think that that's wrong. And I, I know that there are CDs in the government parties who aren't a bit happy with that either.
3: Are there questions over the tenability of Minister Foley? Look, my focus at the
5: minute is getting answers to the questions that are out there. But most that of all, that question just, is
3: out there, Donoghue. Is
5: her well, position I mean, tenable? Is there a question about her position? Look, I mean, you know, PJ that. We don't support this government. It's not a nomination we will support in the first place. It's not a government that we have huge confidence in. Is now the time to be tabling motions of no confidence when we are uh, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, when we are potentially facing further restrictions in Cork, which is a massive issue, and I'm hoping to raise the dial at some stage today, if I get the chance. Is now the time to be doing that? I'm not sure that it is. There are questions she has to answer. There's no doubt about that. Um, But our focus is on trying to get transparency learning an awful lot more uh, and finding solutions. And look, I mean, as much as I would be critical of the minister, we will work with her to try and find solutions. And I suppose, look, it's only fair to acknowledge the fact that some of these issues began under the previous minister, which is Joan McHugh, and there's responsibility there
3: too. You'd have to ask one question, though. Uh, and it was the one that ran through my mind and as I was driving home yesterday evening someone asked it on a national radio programme and I thought, did they do a dry run? Did they set up the computer and feed a load of sample data into it to see would it work properly?
2: Did they do a dry run?
3: Yeah,
5: well look, I mean, I need to be careful that we don't get, I suppose, too into the technicalities of it but that is one of the big questions. Uh, Dave told us previously that every line of code was tested now that they're saying that there's only a few lines that they took samples of it so that's a very different thing it's also i suppose one of the questions we'd be asking they made changes uh during the process they removed the school profile element which i think was right because that was one of the biggest controversies in britain and in the north but was it fully tested at that stage was it fully tested in late august early september uh when that decision was taken did they fully test it then were there enough Sales safe. Um, so these are some of the big questions that need to be asked, and a lot of it comes back to, look, obviously there was a company contracted to do this, um, and they have the primary responsibility for any errors that happened, but we will be asking questions about the tendering process that was in place here, um, because the department is responsible for finding the best person for the job. Like definitely the best Like, we're we're a Uh global...
3: We're a global... A main global player in IT and systems and coding in this country. Why the hell is it when it was being coded by a Canadian company? Yes, no... Nothing against Canada, mind you. But why was it being coded by a Canadian company? Well, look,
5: I mean, like... You, I mean, we can ask that question. I'm sure there are companies in in Ireland that might be capable of doing this, but I'm, I'm not sure that that's the main issue. The main issue is when a tender is put out that the best person for the job gets it. So, um, Because obviously the sensitivity of this is huge. Now, like, so, like, I mean, we'll be trying to find out the tendering process, how it was handled, and whether it was rigorous enough to ensure that the best person to do the job got the job, because that is the responsibility of the department. That does come down to the department. The other thing is this. It does really raise questions like algorithms and things like that. When they have a real impact on people's lives, we have to be very cautious about how we use them in public policy. And, you know, just, you know, simple mathematical formulas. Because if you have an error, if you have a statistical error, it mightn't seem significant mathematically, but that error is an individual student in this instance. That is a family, that is their dreams, that is their hopes of getting a course. You apply it anywhere in, 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 I suppose, public policy. You know, I know that there's been issues in Britain about how algorithms were applied to social welfare and things like that. When you put all your faith in a model and not in the, the judgment of uh, professionals evaluating the evidence in front of them, there are risks to that. There are significant risks to that, and who has paid the price for that, uh, here in this instance, the students you know um we can talk about what's statistically significant or not insignificant um but at the that's end that's, of the
3: day, uh, that's an over complicating thing but, but certainly something went wrong, and unless we know I can find out exactly what wrong what went wrong how why and whose fault it was, uh, it will have been a wasted exercise to 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 even discuss it dunica thank you very much Donna colira uh Front bench spokesman on education for Sinn Féin, Cork South Central, TD, 185715996. Now, Linda Fitzpatrick was thinking about this last night and she emailed us. It it may or may not have affected her family in this way. You don't don't know, do you? Morris says, the Minister of Education has to trust the professionals who are making the calculations. It seems to be a recognised company for the area. Why is it her fault? Would you be fired if your computer systems let you down? It's a good question, Morris, but the book doesn't stop with me if the computer system doesn't work. The book stops with the IT department in this company if the computer system doesn't work. But the book stops with the minister if the results are a shambles. That's my question. 1857-15996. 1857-15996.
2: The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. With the indoor self-service
1: laundrette. Now at the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Every day, washing and drying, done within an hour. Self-service-laundry.ie.
2: Cork loves the arts. We do too.
1: That's why we bring you the Arts House.
2: Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM.
1: Hi, it's Elmery. Each week, we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around
2: Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmery Mall
1: and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10, with Griffin's Potatoes Cork. fresh. Flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do.
2: On Courts 96 FM, <laughs> this is Courts Gold Imro award winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now. 083
2: 396 96, 96 On Courts
3: 96 FM. Yeah, the. What actually happened is confusing Now to give Norma Foley her credit In her day as a teacher She must have been a very good one Because her explanation at that media briefing yesterday Of what actually happened Was very clear and immediately understandable But what did happen? By email to opinion at 96fm.ie, hi PJ, did they mix up the codes for the junior cert and the leaving cert? Surely a large number of students got grades higher than they were entitled to. To be honest, it would be far better if it was solely let up to teachers to grade too many so-called experts. Well, what happened, emailer? was when the results were sent up from the schools they were put into this effectively put in one end of a computer and the calculated results came out the other side and one of the things that that computer looked at was junior search results and that computer was supposed to look at the Irish English and maths results and the two best results for every particular student unfortunately because of the mistake in the code it looked at the two worst results other than Irish, English and maths. And that had an effect on the overall calculation. There was another problem with CSPE, this civics-type subject, that they weren't supposed to include in the grading. It got included. So there were kind of two cock-ups, really, as as was explained. How many did it affect? We think about 6,500 people. Linda, do you think your son was one of them? Good morning. Hi,
6: Peter, how are you? Good. Um I, I'm, I, I, I think he probably was. I suppose, in a way, we're kind of hoping maybe that he was. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't know. And we're kind of back in limbo again, wondering, was he, wasn't he? You know, is his results going to change or is he going to be left?
3: So. R- remind people again what happened with Rory.
6: <clears throat> well, I mean, he was only one of many, and I suppose he's only an example in this. Um, he got his results um, they were 499 points um, and that meant that he missed out on his first and his second choice even though he would have got them the previous year but then when they announced the school's grades um, he found out that he had been dropped across three grades and that he would had those stood have got 533 points which would have seen him clear for both his first two choices um, which was really frustrating and even more frustrating when we discovered that like so many of his peers had been impacted in the same way, and loads of them much more severely, like dropped across six grades, some. Um, and now, um, I suppose it's been announced that there's been an error in the code, and we're back wondering whether his grades, are, whether any of his grades are going to be pulled back up in any way, and whether that's going to affect his CAO. And so forth. it's kind of all a mess.
3: Yeah, it is, isn't it? A complete
6: mess. It is, it is. It is, um, it is and uh, I mean, we're we're just playing the waiting game at the moment, and to be quite honest, it feels like, you know, those lotto balls that they just um, roll around the place and pull you out because you don't know where you're going to end, and you don't know if you do get your course whether they're actually going to be able to to make a place available, particularly, um, in the lab courses. Um, I think that what Sonic has said there is just so important that it is really, really critical that students, um, need that, that, the system needs to find places for students that would have been offered them in space rather than, you know, um, offering them to wait until next year, because there's nothing to do in this year, you know, already when they're in online college, like I, I'm trying to paint the kitchen at the moment and, um, my son Rory was into me yesterday between lectures whereas, you know, they should be up in a normal year, they'd be up in university you know, meeting new people yeah. um, socialising and he was lovely and all What us to have him here, you know, he was in chatting with me, you know, it's not, it's not the way it's meant to be. Yeah, so
3: and they, they're dealing yeah. with all of that and they're dealing with yeah. the uncertainty of what's going to happen and they're dealing with the disappointment of not getting what they wanted and now to realise this might have changed everything had it been done right in the first place the Absolutely. stress levels ah. must be through the roof for the whole oh. family Linda
6: yeah well I mean he's to be honest he's disengaged a bit from it um, me I didn't sleep at all thinking about it you know um, and everybody else is slightly going about their business but quite angry about it um, it's, it's it's not it's not really good enough and yet there's nothing you can do about it
3: alright Linda thank you very much 185715996 Abby. Abby was on 3 Katie might try and get it back for me there Uh, She was on three, but she's not anymore. Uh, Simon, the one line of code in 50,000 is a silly thing for the minister to say when there's plenty of evidence that very small coding errors can have disastrous consequences. Was this algorithm not thoroughly tested in advance? This is the big question. Was there not a dry run done here? with, With the fate of thousands of young people being determined by this big computer... Did they not test dummy results, for example, on, on the way to putting in the real stuff? Is she there, Abby?
7: Hi, how are you? Hi,
3: what happened to you?
7: So, um, I got docked quite a lot of marks uh, for my ag science. Now, it wasn't my teacher's fault at all. It was the state, I think. So, my teacher gave me 80.5 marks. Right. But then it came up, I got given 60. That's two grades.
3: For and, your agricultural uh, science. So, when from your teacher's yeah. assessment to was 80. Eighty point five, and the yeah. result you were given was sixty. Yeah. Wow.
7: Which was very very upsetting, and I missed out my course by twenty points. And if I had get, gotten the grades I was given, I would have had more than enough points to do it. Yeah.
3: Now, when because you when when you heard there, about this yesterday, Abby, what did you think?
7: I was shocked. Like it's a little too late. Like people have accepted offers, paid fees, started the course. Like. Like, I got, I accepted my fifth offer, and I've already started a week mm-hmm. into it.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: So it's going to be hard to, like, start a new college course. If I am one of the mistakes, you know, I mightn't be. So I think all students are in the same boat, being upset. Yeah.
3: There's another one in your list of results as well. You were marked down and yeah, dropped a whole grade down. in English. And, and again, yeah, if one. you got that grade, yeah. one by one point, if you got that grade, you might have got a better choice. Yeah. Yeah. and but I mean, like, you've accepted not- offers, you've paid a fee, you've started the yeah. course. Supposing it becomes obvious now that you should have qualified for what you wanted, what do you do then?
7: I have no idea. Like, I, uh, it's not my teacher's fault. I know that for a fact. They were absolutely brilliant. And they were so supportive. It was a tough year for everyone. COVID just didn't help. But they were so amazing. Yeah. It's just, I feel let down. You know, I feel forgotten.
3: How can they put this right, or can anybody put it right for people like you, Abby?
7: Oh, I have no idea. I think if they did give us our first choice, if we did get the marks for it, if they sorted out the payment transfer and all this, and like, even books now as well, I'm after paying so much money for my books. Yeah. Am I able to return them? Are they going to get me new books? Yeah.
3: Yeah. These are the little things. These are the real things. The fact is you've, you've yeah. actually prepared and taken another place. You yeah. might not have had to repair and take in a different place if they got this right? Yeah, that's
7: exactly it.
3: Okay. Abby, thanks. 185715996. And breaking news from the EU. Uh, RTE News is reporting, Tony Connolly, their man in Europe, is reporting that the EU is to announce legal action against the UK over Boris's withdrawal bill. That's Ursula von der Leyen, I think. I I saw his Twitter. Ursula von der Leyen is to make an announcement later this morning that there will be legal action taken against the UK over this withdrawal bill of Boris's, the one that is breaking international law. We'll follow that one with with some interest. Finn says, is there going to be an asterisk now against these poor kids' results? What a disaster. The mental torture, the unnecessary stress. Why? Incompetence. Bluffers, (laughs) bluffers <laughs> Say, says says Finn eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six I will come back to this because we've more people to talk about including taking a look at it legally because someone's got to have recourse to law after this kind of a cock-up but I want to catch up with a very important crime story that's come back into the headlines. We'll do that next.
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot, now located
1: at the Junction
2: Supermarket, Vickers Road. Coal,
1: gas, kiln-dried wood, and briquettes for collection or delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie Turn it on. Cork's Gold Emerald Award-winning sports show.
2: The Score
1: on Cork's
2: 96FM. FM, FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sunday, from 2, for the best music mix
8: and all the latest sports where we focus on the Cork County Senior Hurley. Championship semi-finals reaction to Cove Rambler's trip to Galway United and Cork City travel to Finn Harps in a relegation battle.
2: Join Trevor Welsh for the score. The score. Yeah, we got it going on. This Sunday from 2 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. <laughs> this is Cork's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
1: us now, 1850
2: 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. <laughs> You will
3: remember the case, or you may remember the case, of the death of Liam Manley. He died of suffocation after he got trapped in a chute, in a laundry chute, in an apartment block in Cork. That happened back in 2013. How long ago? Seven years ago now. Well, David O'Loughlin was found guilty of his murder at the Central Criminal Court in January 2019. It was a retrial. He's now lodged an appeal in the Appeals Court and reporter Stephanie Rowan is covering it. Stephanie, good morning.
9: Good morning, Peter. How are you?
3: Good. Tragic case, very tragic case, long and convoluted legal history with it. What's the latest?
9: Yeah, and as you said, this has been before the court since 2013. That's seven years. That's a very long time for a case to be before the court. And that's always very difficult for a victim's family. Um, The accused in this case, David O'Loughlin of Garden City Apartments on North Main Street in Cork, he was found guilty and then he appealed that and won. And then he was found guilty again of murder and he's appealing that again before the court of appeal and I was at that yesterday. So I guess, PJ, I'll just take you back to the original crux of the case. And what happened is that an argument of some sort broke out in Garden City Apartments in May 2013. And what happened is David O'Loughlin grabbed Lee Manley. Now, Lee Manley, he was 59. He had alcohol problems. He was homeless. He worked with the silent community. Very vulnerable man. He was described in court as harmless, quite small, 5'2 or 5'3. And David O'Loughlin, who was 26 at the time, grabbed Elaine Manley. And he actually pushed him into a rubbish chute. Now, this rubbish chute was 40 foot long. And the court heard he would have travelled at about 27 miles per hour per hour. But what actually happened is there was rubbish stuck in the rubbish chute and he got stuck in it and he died of suffocation. And the judge at the time described this as the stuff of nightmares, a really, really horrible way to die. And uh, David O'Loughlin launched his appeal, as I said, there in the court of appeal yesterday. And the crux of his argument is his barrister, Michael Higgins, said, look, what he did, nobody can defend it. It was morally reprehensible and absolutely indefensible, he said. But he said when David O'Loughlin placed Kaleem Manley in the rubbish chute, he actually thought he was going to, via gravity, fall through it and have a soft landing into a large bin at the end, which had lots of rubbish in it. Mm. And he said he had no idea he was going to get stuck in, in it and suffocate in that way. So they said that when he put him in it, it was a death trap, but that the accused didn't know it was a death trap. He didn't know there was rubbish stuck in it. And their argument is, yes, what he did is awful, but it couldn't be murder. It was never murder. They're saying that it should be manslaughter, and he should be resentenced for manslaughter.
3: Now, what happens? Has it, has the, is the hearing complete now, and will we get a verdict back, or what happens next?
9: So what happened then was the state actually launched its reasons why it's believed, um, it believed it is murder. And they said, look, everybody in the apartment knew there was issues with that rubbish chute. In fact, a lot of times rubbish had got stuck in it. And it said the fact that, you know, he put him in it and, oh, there was rubbish in it. that they said that can't absolve them of what happened. And so they're opposing it and they say murder was the correct verdict. So there's three judges in the Court of Appeal and what they decided to do is they're going to reserve judgment. So the victim's family and the accused, they're actually going to have to wait a little bit longer. They didn't set a particular date, um, but in the future they will d- decide whether they should change the murder verdict and overturn it. So this, I'll, I'll let you know as soon as that
3: happens. This is, thank you. This is horrific for the family.
9: Yeah, you see, these cases and the courts, it's such a long process and what happened in this, I don't know if your listeners will remember this, but he was originally found guilty of murder and that was appealed because what happened was very strange actually that the jury asked the judge in the, the very, very first case could they go to the rubbish chute and could they have a look at it and they did go to the rubbish chute and apparently someone actually threw a coin down it and I don't know what that was to achieve, but that just shouldn't have happened. It was decided in the Court of Appeals. They shouldn't have gone to it. Nobody applied for it from the prosecution or the state. Just the jurors asked for it. So he won on that basis originally. And as I said, then there was another trial. So these trials are, you know, they're long. There's lots of witnesses. It's always very, very painful for victims' families to go through this. And, you know, for accused family as well. But the crux of this appeal this time is that, yes, he he put him in the rubber shoot. The hands are, are up on that. But they're saying, look, he never meant to murder him. That's the basis, anyway, of, of his appeal.
3: It's, it's all about the concept, isn't it, of intent. And that's probably the legal thing that the judges are going to have to figure out.
9: Yeah, and appeals as well. I mean, you know, it was one day of court yesterday but they actually have huge uh, written submissions put in as well. Okay. So the judges will also sit down, they'll analyse that. So it could be a month, a month or two before we, we hear back.
3: OK, and as soon as we do, we'll be back to you. Thanks very much, Stephanie Rowan, court reporter in the appeals court yesterday in the appeal of David O'Loughlin against his conviction for the murder of Liam Manley. I mentioned uh, the legal explanation of intent I can remember years ago covering a murder, it doesn't matter what one it was, it, wouldn't, it would be unfair to mention which one it was but the defence counsel for the man accused spent three and a half hours on his feet in the summing up, just explaining to the jury the concept of intent your brain will be bleeding from it so that's where all this is going to circle on. David O'Loughlin admits he pushed Liam Manley down the chute. He admits that. His argument is he never intended for him to die. And that is what they've got to figure out in the Court of Appeal. And we'll come back to Stephanie as soon as we get a verdict on that. So what's likely to happen with these recalculated of the calculated grades after they discovered this mistake, a mistake which the Minister says was caused by one wrong line of code in 50,000 lines. She held on to it for a week until they found out exactly what the problem was. And now we know that about 6,500 students are affected and about 7,000 odd grades. Amy Connolly is a solicitor with Cantlands. Amy, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Could you see a potential f- for legal actions to be forthcoming because of this?
10: Unless the government manages to resolve this problem to the satisfaction of all or at least the majority of students, did, and unfortunately, yes, I think we're going to see a lot of legal actions being taken. You now, we have to empathise empathize with students who have been affected by this fiasco and indeed their parents because... It's been a very difficult year for everybody due to COVID-19, but I think in particular students have been very badly affected and the uncertainty and the lack of transparency from the government at the outset. And now these monumental errors that are coming to light are making the position worse for them. But going back to your question, PJ, yes, I do see legal actions coming before the courts as well as what happens here. And as you know, there are already applications before the High Court in respect of the standardisation process used to grow the 2020 cohort of leading certificate students. Some of whom had their teachers' grades and fairly downgraded, and as a result, missed out in their preferred college cases but legally, I suppose it's it's very much in charge of water for everybody because it's so unprecedented and there is a test case before the high Court, which will be heard on the twenty first of October yeah. so legally, there's not going to be any clear answers until that test case is decided but in my opinion i do see I do see legal cases coming before the court, and I suppose in those cases, you're going to have to show that. Someone made an error and that error adversely affected you as a student, and it now seems that there were errors.
3: Yeah, well, now, well, there's the thing. I'm thinking in terms of someone who accepted a place that wasn't their first choice and has spent money on taking up that place, and now, because of the recalculation, could qualify for what was their first choice. Like, would they have a right to legal recourse there?
4: I suppose
10: this is where the difficulty is going to lie, um, PJ, in terms of whether the college places will be made available for those who have been affected by this, because the Minister has already said that no student will be disadvantaged by the mistakes made, and students who will be entitled to a higher CEO offer will receive that offer. But whether that translates into them receiving a college case this year, or perhaps whether they have to start their preferred course next year, remains to be seen. Now, Simon Harris has already come out and said an additional 1,000 places may be needed, and while it may be possible to create extra places in courses which are perhaps largely now being conducted online, that's far more difficult to do in courses where perhaps lab work is required or where placements are required. But if someone would have been entitled to a higher course but for this error and they can't now commence that course until, say, next year, then, in my opinion, they would be entitled to compensation by way of damages for the loss suffered. Yeah. Now, having said that, that loss is going to be very difficult for the courts to quantify in terms of what compensation can you give a student who's had their whole life delayed by one year. No money is ever going to rectify that but at the same time I suppose you could look at losses in terms of loss of earnings in that you're now delayed in commencing employment in your chosen career by a year and perhaps that could be claimed but again I suppose, it's it's very much in charge of waters at the moment, and I yeah. imagine that the current test case, when that's determined, will determine a lot of these issues, um, if that is successful.
3: This will always, also, already this system has caused stress and anxiety, and mm-hmm. the, the grading, when it came out, there was enough stress to, to, to satisfy anybody in that one. Here's more stress and more anxiety. Those are grounds for compensation,
4: surely?
10: I suppose, what's involved there, PJ, and again, there has been an untold amount of stress and anxiety on, on students, not just the 2020 students this year, but we have to remember that there are 2019 students also yes. who would have sat their leaving search in 2019 under the traditional written exam system and would have applied to the CEO system this year for courses. And because of the great inflation that we've seen, which is reportedly an increase in 4.4%, those students were put at a significant disadvantage in the rate for college cases. So it's not just, you know, the 2020 students that we're talking about here, there's a whole other group of students who are being adversely affected by this also, but in terms of an action for perhaps stress and anxiety, what you're looking at there is a personal injury type action and to succeed in that you would have to show that you suffered an injury, but it has to be a recognisable psychi- psychiatric gotcha. injury, so it has to be more than just stress and anxiety and the only way to ascertain that is to be assessed medically. Now, if there is PJ, while I have no doubt that this is causing significant anxiety and distress for students, I wouldn't be encouraging anybody to, to pursue that type of legal action because, yeah. you know, it's difficult and uh, if a student is suffering with their mental health at the moment, then they should be consulting with their GP and yeah. their family as opposed to coming to us as solicitors.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's a fair question or f- fair comment. Uh, Amy, in comparison to previous years, and we all know that every year there's someone tries to go to court on the grounds of a result that they didn't expect or they thought was wrong. In comparison to previous years, are you seeing any increase in the number of people seeking legal redress over this 2020
10: leave insert? We are, um, PJ. Sadly, there has been a huge increase in number of students looking for legal redress. And I've spoken to an awful lot of students recently who are in despair and they feel that they've been wronged, which of course they have. And I suppose it's a very sad state of affairs. students who should be starting college now and out there enjoying themselves and they're now turning to solicitors for help and wanting to go before the courts to, to vindicate their rights. But we have a team here at and Solicitors and we're dealing with these queries and we're doing our very best to guide students through this the situation as best we can.
3: Okay. One last one for you, Amy. I don't think this will arise. I think listening to the Minister yesterday, it's highly unlikely to arise. But could somebody legally be asked to vacate a place they've previously accepted?
10: Um, generally no PJ and again it's all uncharted water legally but in my opinion if you've met course requirements and you've been offered a college place by the CAO, and perhaps you've paid fees then that place can't be taken back from you and if it was then in my opinion that would give rise to a force of action because a lot of students would have acted to their detriment in perhaps accepting that place. Um, so it's highly unlikely, as you say, that those situations are going to arise now because the government has already given an assurance that no students will have their grades reduced yeah. and they've assured students that if you have a the CEO system, you'll hold on to that place. Hmm. Now, I have seen one unusual example where a student was inadvertently offered a college place due to an error occurring. And that was later withdrawn, but there are other issues at play there. But generally, you know, as a rule, I don't see any students being asked to vacate a course that they've already accepted.
3: All right. Okay. Listen, thank you uh, for that this morning. That's Amy Connolly. She's a solicitor with Cantillans. And and there you've heard it. There is a massive surge for 2020 of people going to law to try to get something done about this leaving shirt. I think Finney is asking on Twitter this morning, did I predict this a month ago? Not this exact scenario, but. I was kind of saying there will be something come out the other end of this there will be a cock up along the way we haven't heard the last of this and we haven't but not by a long chalk
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM very 1st of October look about
3: it there this morning out there dull and dreary as I look out from the top floor of the Broadcasting House. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96 ie. Another one of our regular callers was on. Hi, Kate. Kate wants me to send condolences to her husband. Why? <laughs> because today is their wedding anniversary. Thank you. Thank you, Case. If you are having a problem with mortgages or have had problems with mortgages throughout the pandemic, because it's been one of those areas that's been really badly affected, but you don't often hear a whole pile about it on the radio because those people are quietly dealing with a bank or a lending uh, organization and trying to sort it all out for themselves. They haven't got much time to be talking on the radio, but I have a story coming up you will be interested in. I just wanted to do the numbers because NEF at our meeting today and the prospect of going up to level three is a very, very real one. And listening to Ronan Glynn, was it Ronan Glynn or Philip Nolan, I can't remember which one, of the, one of the other anyway, were saying last evening that the, even the prospect of doing it in regions or counties now, that that may not be enough, that they, we may all have to go up because of the way the figures are expanding nationwide and yes, some counties have lower than others but as a nation our numbers are getting disturbingly high again for example, today is the 1st of October and looking at Cork City and County official public fig- published figures of cases our case number today our 14 day case number for today the 1st of October is 459 for the City and County of Cork which is 92 Per 100,000 of us. 92 cases per 100,000. Back in September, on the 1st of September, it was 45. On the 1st of August, yeah, 45. A tenth of it. On on the 1st of August, it was 10. On the 1st of July, it was 5. We had this licked at the end of June, or thought we had. On the 1st of June, it was 141 cases. The 1st of May, 136 and the 1st of April, three days after we went into lockdown, it was 292. So once again now, our numbers are well higher than they were when we entered lockdown. So as of today, our numbers in Cork, 459. 92 per 100,000. Now, I know that one of the reasons our numbers are higher than when we went into lockdown are because, well, we're not locked down. Things are open. People are getting... Around, about their lives as normally as they can The schools are back And people are back at work for the most part But those numbers are scary Those numbers are scary Because we hear That the, the, the Intensive care doctors In the hospitals are now worried About the pressure It's starting to mount I mean we know that whatever And it's probably not COVID Whatever is going on down at the mercy they are jammers down there They're absolutely stacked up in the mercy Probably not all COVID. In fact, almost certainly not all COVID. But bring a couple of dozen hospital cases in there with COVID and you're in serious doo-doo. So worrying times. Very worrying times. 1850, 715, 996. Now let's go to Linda uh, for a mortgage story. It's your sister and her husband, Linda. Good morning.
11: Good morning, PJ. And thanks for taking the call.
3: Delighted. What's What's been happening?
11: I suppose this has been an ongoing process and due to COVID, everything has been delayed by so much. But I'd say we've got to the point now where the stress is practically killing her because there's a locked door at the bank with no answers yeah. and no options. So... Start at the start to- for me. Exactly. I'll start to the start. So her original mortgage application went in, in June of 2019. Right. That was her first appointment with the bank. So the houses weren't built. It's a new build. So hang on two seconds I know. right now. So it was a new build. So they went through all the motions and the hoops and the documentation and everything else that's needed for a mortgage. So I'm just reading because I got some notes from her last night. That's okay. She's so upset she don't want to talk about it herself. That's
12: okay. I appreciate that. Um,
11: So in November um, of 2019, her mortgage was approved. Right. As in, everything that she done was acceptable. They were waiting then on the house being built. Okay. She paid her balance. She got the um, help to buy scheme organised. That was organised. So everything then was done until closer to the drawdown.
3: All the ducks were in a row, was it? Right?
11: Everything yeah. was in order. They were only waiting on the house. In May 2020, the approval letter expired because the house wasn't built because of COVID. Everything stopped in March. But then they had to reapply with more information in, in May. In July, they issued another full-offer letter. So in July 2020, home straight, waiting for the house to be built, finished and everything. So she went headlong into looking at interiors and, you know, all the excitement that, that you do. you'd yeah. normally have for yeah. a house. Yeah. Yeah. So she got the house valued in August 2020 because you need that for house insurance. Sunday end of August they were coming to the point where the builder was getting ready to snag and hand over and she had a phone conversation for mortgage protection so this is a requirement in the event of your death the mortgage will be paid she was turned down for mortgage protection this is 12 months into an application she has yet to receive a reason on paper for why her application was, was turned down so she refu- she was refused with no reason given, no options, no alternatives. We, my, my husband and I, offered to go as a guarantor. We have our own house as well. Absolutely no way. They, they just were not willing to have a conversation as to what exactly could be done to get this over the line. Yeah. So there's been to and fro and back and escalation. So so hold on.
3: everything just breaking it down here. Everything. Yeah. Was in place. Her paperwork, yeah. yep. everything was right. They'd had approval, they'd done everything. The yep. house was being built. And then this protection was required. Yes. It was now, refused, and they won't explain why.
11: No. Now you say it's required, but on further digging, the Consumer Credit Act actually says that the mortgage lender will arrange life insurance policy, but there are exemptions. If the loans are to a people who belong to a class, which would not be unacceptable to an insurer, which seemingly is her case. So
3: how do they define that?
11: They are defining that. So I suppose there were certain criteria in that Consumer Act, people who are over 50, 55, people who cannot get insurance for various reasons because of underlying health conditions, uh, risky jobs. There are certain criteria that can exempt them. From um, exempt them from having to get this policy. Yeah. The bank can issue a waiver. They have the facility to do so if a person falls into those couple of criteria. Right. They are refusing to issue a waiver.
3: Now, she is mired in the development of a house right now because she's she put has, her own money into yeah, it Yeah, she
11: has in excess 10,000 euros of her own money gone into tiles and bathroom wear And it's the the last minute, I mean, 12 months in the process of this mortgage, and it's being pulled at the last minute. Now, there's a separate, I suppose, there's a separate issue with the mortgage protection. And while she hasn't been issued a letter stating the refusal, there has been hints and rumours... Sorry for the traffic noise. There has been hints and rumours that because of COVID... There are issues with people who may have a higher BMI getting life insurance policy. Right. Now, this particular person has... is works in a, in a fairly... has a good job and is 15 years in her job. As part of that, she undergoes an annual medical. Every yes. single year, documented. Yes, yes. Can she furnish that to provide evidence of good health? No. She has active health insurance with no claims bar the usual things, nothing major, no underlying conditions, can she furnish that as proof of good health? No. They are not willing to take... Will they even send her for a medical? No. There is just a blanket, no refusal, with no indication why. However, they will offer her husband's mortgage protection.
13: Right.
11: Okay? But because they're a couple... They will still won't grant the mortgage because in the event of her death, he may not have the ability to pay back the mortgage. Now, another benefit of the job she's currently in is that she is liable for a debt benefit of four times her salary. And she's in a a good job. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like good
3: job and good employer.
11: Yes, yes, absolutely. And four times her salary will be paid on her death, which will never happen, but, you know, will be paid to her husband. So he will have the facility to pay back the mortgage in the event of her death. So you can understand the frustration. It's just crazy. I
4: cannot
3: imagine. They mustn't be sleeping. They mustn't be eating.
11: this isn't going on now, For I'd say, since the end of August, the start of September, when all this happened, when they should be preparing to move into a lovely house after years upon years of mortgage and saving for a deposit. And
3: And I'm sure the builder is getting a bit itchy too.
11: He is getting a little bit now. He has been excellent. I mean, I can't fault the builders. I won't name them because she won't want want anyone to know who she is. But there has been mentioned that because of the delay, they may have to be charged per week interest. Right. Which Which would be, which look, if you knew it was coming... You could afford to, okay, look, we've we've something in process. We're going to be done in six weeks. You could do that.
3: Let's bring bring in someone, Linda, who might be able to help. because. Oh, that would be brilliant. Well, I reckon if Joey Sheehan can't find a way around this, the mortgage coach, nobody can. Joey, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This seems like such a bizarre situation. Everything was in in line all the ducks in a row she's got a fabulous job great employers her husband's got a good job and all of a sudden they won't in, they won't issue this this insurance what's going on here?
8: Yeah I've been listening to Linda there and I, I really feel, feel for her sister and um, it's really disappointing and really frustrating for her Now, there is good news, uh, PJ. Some banks, uh, obviously the banks they apply to won't um, issue a waiver for the life cover, but some banks will consider waiving the life cover. So we have two banks currently that would consider waiving um, for this person or any person who can't get life cover. Now, it is on a case-by-case basis. It's not a guarantee. But um, I'd be I'd be fairly confident we we would get the desired result if Linda wanted to send her her sister into us and we would be delighted. But to does she anything. have to
3: switch everything then, Joey, and go back to square one again?
8: Well, e- each bank, uh, yes, she does. So It'll be a new mortgage application to to a new lender that will consider waiving. So each bank sets its own credit policy, and while uh, the Consumer Credit Act does make reference, which Linda rightly pointed out. Um, it, it's essentially up to each bank to decide if they want to advance money to somebody without um, a life policy so um, so, but yes she would be sending a new application to a new lender
3: Any explanation as to why is she entitled to an explanation as to why they won't
8: Well if, give her this if you apply to a company and they, they refuse you, yes you are fully entitled, you can write to that company and ask them for the reason and their chief medical officer uh, will write to your GP and explain the reasoning
11: she has, so asked, she, she, sorry, she has asked for that letter to be sent to her GP and it's still not forthcoming.
8: Well, I, 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 she would be entitled to that, so presumably that's just a delay or something like that, yeah. you know.
3: You might be able to, to, to sit down with them, Joey, and talk them through and see why you'd be able to help them.
8: Yeah, well, look, this, this unfortunately is a problem that, that crops up when we're dealing with a, a lot of mortgages and people... Uh, Buying houses, it props up frequently enough. And what we're advising people at the moment, and people generally are following the advice, is that get your life cover in place at the outset, um, particularly now with COVID. Because if somebody tests positive for COVID, even though they might be very well and they may not have any, they may, may be asymptomatic, uh, it can pose difficulties getting life cover. So, um, you know, we're, we're saying to people, look, apply for your life policy and get it in place at the same time that you're beginning the mortgage application.
11: Yeah. No, yeah. no. She applied for the mortgage in June of last year, and she was right. never instructed to apply for mortgage protection because if she would have done it back then, this new criteria wouldn't have been applicable to her, and she would have just flown through it. Yeah.
3: It's it's a difficult situation. I think, uh, Joey, you're prepared to talk to them anyway, off the air, and see what you can do to help
8: would be
3: delighted, pj all right okay stay with linda i'm going to leave you there because i have one or two more questions i want to put to joey just off the cuff for a moment but i hope everything okay. works out it's a dreadful situation to be in and just tell them look hopefully it'll all work out try to try to get on with with life and work and living and don't try not to let it get to them but i know it does it's it's normal that it would thank you linda for that and my best of luck to your sister and her husband. Joey, stay with me for a second. We had this debacle earlier in the week where uh, the end of these mortgage breaks came and the banks just effectively turned two fingers up to the Minister of Finance, Minister of Public Flensure. No, we're not extending it. Like, that's that's arrogance of the highest order, is it not?
8: Well, um, I suppose the blanket, the blanket um, moratorium that was brought in I think came from Europe effectively and banks were entitled to give initially a three-month moratorium and then a six-month moratorium and those loans did not need to be recorded as being impaired or in arrears or in an alternative arrangement which basically means that they're fully performing loans. Um, I think the reasoning why the banks don't want to extend them on a blanket basis has probably got to do with the reporting of those loans that they would technically be Let's call them challenged loans, which which doesn't suit their balance sheet, right? Yeah. Now, the bottom line here, PJ, is that if somebody can't pay, if somebody is in a genuine case and they're they're um, you know they they, they 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 lost their job and they can't pay the mortgage, the majority of banks I would be shocked if they didn't work with people. So I would say to anybody in that cohort that contact your bank as soon as possible. They will require forms if your situation is bona fide and if you require. I think the banks will will grant a further moratorium to you. Yeah. Um, now, I, I've actually come across a lot of people, PJ, who have availed of the moratorium for either three three months or six months, and in retrospect, I suppose they availed of it because they didn't know what was coming ahead of them. But in retrospect, they didn't need to avail of it. Yeah. So w- while while it did ease pressure on a lot of people, and a lot of people absolutely required it, uh, there's a lot of people also that that didn't actually require it in hindsight.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but I suppose at the time when the, the the assets falling out of the world, you think I'm going to need that? I'm going to apply for that.
8: Well, it's a safety valve. It was a safety valve for people, and they weren't sure. We none of us, none of us knew what was around the corner. So, um, you know, some some people they might have been right to apply for it, but they, they don't need to necessarily continue it. You know. Yeah,
3: I know. I know. Listen, Joey, thank you very much as always for your assistance. Uh, Joey, she and the mortgage coach, and. Joey's going to talk to Linda and her sister and her husband off-air to see what can be done, because there's an awful situation. Everything was in place. Everything was hunky-dory and tickety-boo. Only for this mortgage protection policy. And because of a change in policy, she can't get it. 1850-715-996. On the COVID numbers... If you missed it there, just coming out of the news, our numbers today for the last 14 days are now 459 cases across Cork City and County, 92 cases per 100k of population. Neffit meeting today, presumably a recommendation comes out later today. It then goes, remember we've been through this rigmarole? goes to the civil servants of course for all their epidemiological and scientific knowledge, it goes to them then it goes to the cabinet subcommittee, and then it goes to the cabinet and the cabinet make a decision probably tomorrow uh, to, I would I, I'd nearly go into Paddy Powers, other betting shops are available I'd nearly go into one of the places and put down a dinner that we will, we will be put into level 3 soon eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Barry says why can't the people in power just do what New Zealand did lock the gaff down for a few months no flights in or out restrict movement big time and we'll be clear of the COVID the only reason my numbers are going up again is because we we're allowed out to pubs and clubs allowed to meet in big groups again and leaving people in and letting loads of flights in and out our country is run by dopes Says Barry B. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. And here's another one, Barry B. The programs in New Zealand that have worked, and the program in Australia, in particularly Queensland, that we were talking about earlier in the week, a lot of the senior positions in those public health programs are being held, or are held by Irish people. We're talking on Monday with Dr. Niall Conroy. He's in Queensland where they've had a fantastic success with COVID-19 because they properly fund and they properly run the public health units. Queensland is pretty much COVID-free and Victoria, where Melbourne is, will be in another few weeks. they got a really harsh lockdown. They're slowly coming out of it now and the public health units are going to deal with it because that's what they do. Why are all these brilliant Irish doctors working around the world? You have to ask, what's wrong with the system here that has indicated that they'd be better off elsewhere? That's the disp- depressing part. 1850-715-996. One thing that has suffered as a result of COVID is friendship. Think about it for a minute. How many of your mates, your friends, your close friends, your, your not-so-close friends, your outer circle, how many of the people you class as friends, particularly close friends have you not seen or not had spent time with, physically I mean not on Skype or Zoom or any one of those for weeks or months it's been called the friendship recession
2: we we'll talk about it next the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
1: With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Every day, washing and drying, done within an hour. SelfServiceLaundry.ie
3: It's huge. What with the goalkeeper. Oh, what a goal. It's historic. Champions of England, Liverpool. And it's here. What a free kick from Kevin De Bruyne! Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie as we bring you the Premier League live, exclusively online.
1: This Saturday, it's Chelsea versus Crystal Palace at 12.30. Everton versus Brighton at 3.00. Leeds United versus Man City at 5.30. And Newcastle versus Burnley at 8.00.
3: Go, go. And ready to go. The
8: Premier League live online, powered by TalkSport. Listen every Saturday by downloading the Corks 96FM app or c 96FM.ie.
2: This is Corks Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
1: us now, 1850-715-996. On
2: Corks 96FM.
3: An article written by Julia Maloney called Long Time No See, Why We Are Facing a Friendship Recession. And she starts by saying, I have a close friend that I've known since I was two. We've been in each other's lives for nearly four decades. In that time, we've notched up four children between us, two long-distance house moves, a number of bad boyfriends, a wedding, several bereavements and more wrinkles than we'd care to count. We've had hot, impassioned arguments and phases where we just simply drifted apart. We always understood implicitly that the ruptures, when they've happened, will not be permanent. Indeed, as I get older, I realise that this friendship, and a very small number of others from later childhood and adulthood, equally precious, are probably my proudest achievement. Except this year, I haven't seen any of them for more than a year. And there's a lot of us in that boat. Anne-Marie Craven is a lecturer, Dr. Anne-Marie Craven is a lecturer in the Department of Psychology at University of Limerick. Anne-Marie, good morning. Morning, PJ. It's been a hard time for friendship the last six to seven months, hasn't it?
14: It's been an incredibly difficult time. I think at the outset of the pandemic, there was a sense that we...
15: Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry?
0: Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
14: We're all in it together and that we get through it. I think maybe we thought that we'd be through it by now, but we're not. So as we face into the winter, I think it'll become especially difficult as well.
3: There are always in our lives, there's always two or three people that are constantly close that we see either frequently or infrequently. And with those people, the phone's just not the same.
14: No, you're right. The phone is not the same. So, of course, because of the public health situation, we're having to make do with virtual contact most of the time. And people are reporting that they're less satisfied with virtual contact. Having a chat on the phone is not the same as seeing somebody in person. It's not the same as being in their physical presence. And that's really hard on people. I especially feel for people who are vulnerable, actually, to COVID, because for them, they really can't take a chance And they might even feel anxious about meeting safely outdoors. So for them, the impact is very significant, certainly. And there are a few other groups that this has been particularly hard on. We've heard a lot online and in social media and in the media in general about the impact on older adults. But actually, besides those who are vulnerable, I would be more concerned about the impact on younger adult friendships. Because young adults tend to have large social circles. Older adults have smaller ones anyway. Yeah. So limiting your social circle to six people is not that big a deal for a certain age group, but it's actually massive for young adults.
3: Yeah. They've hundreds of friends because they haven't they haven't filtered it down into that hardcore group yet.
14: That's it. And you know what, PJ? I think there's a lot in the media at the moment about, you know, young adults socializing, being out and about, having too many social contacts. And of course, that is the case for many of them. And we can't have this number of social contacts at the moment. It's a public health situation. We just can't do it. What I think we also need to talk about is acknowledging that that is very, very hard for people in that age group. In that age group that we can term emerging adulthood, where people are between the teenage and the fully fledged adult years. So for this group, it's always been characterized by spending a lot of time with existing friends meeting a lot more new people, to learn about yourself and to learn about the world. So for that group to take that away is massive. Now, I'm not saying that young adults get to go out and meet lots of people as we would do pre-COVID. It's a public health pandemic. We can't. But I think we need to be more sympathetic to the problem they're facing. And instead of a discourse that's only about the negative side, think about what they have lost and how well so many of them have been coping with that.
3: Yeah, I watch my daughter in particular, Anne Marie. She's she's twenty three, and like every young woman of her age, she has. I'd say they run into hundreds, and they do these things on. I think they call it house party or one of those other apps. And there could be fifteen of them in the bedroom chatting and having a drink. But it is not the same
14: no it's absolutely not the same um, i suppose your daughter falls into that category that we might call emerging adulthood so she's not a teenager anymore but some would say not a fully fledged adult yet so for that particular age group meeting a lot of people is developmentally appropriate it's developmentally important it's a very normal part of life and in fact it sets people up for their fully fledged adulthood and if we all think back to that time that age time ourselves You know, we would have made friends then. We would have possibly developed contacts for our career later. Uh, We might have gone traveling. So much has been taken away from that age group that hasn't been talked about. Uh, We seem to be very sympathetic to the issues surrounding older adulthood, as we rightly should. But for young adults, think of what they have lost. They have lost education. They have lost a lot of their life plans they often have lost employment opportunities because we're not exactly seeing an increase in employment at the moment either. So when you think about what they have lost, I think we need to be a lot more sympathetic. It's very normal for them to have larger social groups. A lot has been taken from them. It's only natural to want to spend time with people who understand that situation. And I think a little bit more empathy could go a long way in supporting that particular group at this time.
3: Yeah, I guess... It's very hard to empathize when you see crowds in the street during freshers oh, week in the middle oh, of a pandemic.
14: Of course, it's very hard, you know I mean, where I live in a rural area, that's not what I'm seeing. But I'm actually from Galway City. So, so I, I, can see on, you know, I can see the pictures online of what's happening. And no, it's not acceptable. But I think some of the reason that this has happened is because we haven't given enough thought to the impact on that group. So we really have had six months to think about this, to think about large numbers of young people who thought they would be setting out on a particular path, who found that path diverted in some way. And in Galway in particular, I know some of the students have made the case that they were told to come back to Galway. You know, they were encouraged to take accommodation and then they were told there was no reason to be there. So that has been very difficult. And while it's not acceptable behaviour, I think we need to constructively think about how we can support young adults in all that they've lost to maintain social connections, to socialise in any possible way that is safe. And I think if we had that empathy from the beginning and we had a little bit more thought about what would happen, uh, we might have been better placed to support them and to avoid those scenes that we have seen now. Of course, that's easy to say in hindsight, but certainly people who are studying the experience of social connectedness and loneliness in young adults would have flagged this as early as April, actually, that young adults were a group that were vulnerable.
3: Am I wrong when I say here, and I've said it once or twice when talking about these gatherings, do you want to be the person who brings this virus home to someone who can't hack it? Am I wrong?
14: No, you're not wrong. Uh, Nobody wants to be that person, of course not. I know myself when I find the, I suppose, the very small social contact situation difficult. Uh, I'm working at home. You know uh, I don't really see anybody that I don't need to see so I might see at a distance for example uh, carers at creche you know that's the extent of it I don't think I'd be able to live with myself if I gave COVID to somebody who wasn't able, you know, to cope with that. And besides that fact, a lot of us have not you know, listening in the media to the number of deaths being reported from COVID. And while that's important information, it also doesn't shed light on the fact that people could be living with the issues related to COVID for a long time. So for myself, I certainly don't want to have long term consequences for an illness and I don't want to give that to others. So that is what is keeping me in having a small social circle but of course the message is getting a little bit lost probably on a group that have had so much more taken away from them than people of my generation.
3: Yeah. And I guess that is a fair comparison. But getting back to the the, the issue of of friendship and and how many how friendships are are surviving this. Like in the normal healthy adult is Is a small circle of friends, close friends, is that normal or do some people have huge numbers of friends, some people just have a handful? What's normal or is there such a thing as normal?
14: Uh, That's a good question. So what's normal I suppose really you mean maybe what's common Uh, because we all differ in our social needs. So for some of us having a few small good quality relationships is absolutely fine. And for others, we might want larger social circles and we enjoy being part of multiple groups, maybe because those groups are based on a particular activity that we're interested in. What is uh, very well known across the lifespan is that young adults have larger social circles, that's normal, that's developmentally appropriate, and older adults tend to selectively narrow their networks. They focus on those relationships that have the most emotional meaning for them. They've already established who they are. They have a sense of what's important to them. They don't need to meet lots of new people. They want to focus and spend their time on those that have most emotional meaning. So while there's no magic number, young adults will have larger groups and older adults will have smaller social connections. And then, of course, the middle adulthood groups That's a group that tends to experience relatively low levels of loneliness and that group would probably be more preoccupied with family. You know, that's a time where if you're going to have kids, you have them. So you're occupied with that. Mm -hmm. And you might also be concerned with careers and colleagues. So you're somewhere in the middle there and you're not as likely to experience loneliness. So while there's no magic number, there are some well-known trajectories of changes in our social relationships across Mm. the lifespan.
3: How would you know if you didn't have enough friends?
14: You would feel it, okay? So if you feel that you don't have enough, maybe you don't have enough. And if that bothers you, that might be characterized as feeling lonely. So loneliness is not the same as social isolation. You know, I could have one friend and that's enough for me and I never feel lonely. Or I could have 10 friends, but I still feel lonely. Mm. So if you feel that the quality or quantity of your social relationships is insufficient or inadequate, that's what loneliness is. And that's when you know maybe you have a little bit of a problem. Now, what's important to say is, People often feel lonely. It's only when this develops into something chronic or persistent that it might be a problem.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a difficult time to be cultivating any kind of a friendship. But outside of, is there anything other than Zoom or should we go back to the old fashioned writing of letters or anything that we can do to either stimulate friendship or, or cultivate the friendships we already have?
14: Yeah, you know what? You've actually hit on it right there about cultivating the friendships we already have. Now, I would love to receive a letter, actually. I can't swear I'd write one. I have plenty of emails to write for work. But certainly, if letter writing is something you'd like to do, uh, absolutely do it. Postcards as well. Now, our usual advice in terms of forming friendships and protecting ourselves from loneliness would be to try and join multiple social groups. The idea is that if you're part of multiple groups, if one of them is lost for some reason, for example, if you retire and you lose your colleagues, all these other groups will protect you from that loss. Now, because of COVID, we cannot join multiple social groups. So we have to think a bit more creatively. But There are a few things people could do. The first is cultivating those relationships we do have. That is something that may help. The second is really thinking about the communities we're in. If you are in a community at the moment and you have a a good social network there, would you consider reaching out to others who may not, you know, because you might be fine, but others may not be. So they might appreciate you reaching out in some way. And something else people can do is look at opportunities to volunteer. So volunteering is a way of uh, extending your social network. It's also a way of doing something purposeful that might benefit someone else, that can give you a positive feeling and a sense of meaning in your own life. So that might protect your mental health in general as well as making you more socially connected in your area. So you can actually go to volunteer.ie to look at opportunities for that. Okay. And finally, I would say, if you're an older adult, alone actually has a befriending service, which has been really beneficial not just for people availing of it, but also for people volunteering, because yeah. they've had a chance to make social connections. So that's something else to consider.
3: Okay. All right. And so anne thank you very much for your time. Anne-Marie Craven from the Department of Psychology at the University of Limerick. Mm-hmm. About friendship in the pandemic. It has been affected and we shouldn't never, hide from the fact it has. I have an unusual kind of a circle of friends and many, many of my closest friends are people I don't see all of that often. In fact, I have one friend in particular that I generally only see maybe twice a year. Now, at the moment that's changed because of the pandemic, believe it or not. I'm seeing him more now than I ever saw for the last 20 years. But but still you know, um, some people are suffering because they have loads of friends and they never see them. Others are suffering because they have no friends and they need more. It's tough. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Did we ever think, did we ever think back in the end of January, start of February, when we were talking about this virus coming out of China, did we ever think that it would take over invade every element of our lives. Did we ever think that? If someone had said to you, it's the 1st of October. If someone had said to you on the 1st of October 2019 that, that by the 1st of October 2020 life as we know it would have changed. Changed utterly. Would we have believed them? 1850 Someone suggested the other day could we plug 2020 out and plug it back in again and see if it makes a difference. Mags loves the call there she uh, loves listening to um, Anne-Marie she's spot on in everything she's saying it's all too easy to point fingers of blame at young people while forgetting that they too have lost out on so much she doesn't excuse it by the way Mags but she says before you point the finger think about what they have lost think about the stage in their lives that they're at and think about how hard it must be for them but yes she makes it very valid point we'll continue not to see our friends because of people like you and the mainstream media frightening the shite out of the population. Ah, great. Ah, great. There's always one comes out from under their stone at some stage during the day. Every day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, With regard to, to um, Anne-Marie, like... <laughs> She said what the young people did on Monday night and Tuesday night in Cork and in Galway, where she's from, not acceptable on any level. Not acceptable. But there's a reason why they do it. There's a reason why when they all get together, it's party, 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 party. Because that is how they socialize at that age. So we can understand it while not approving of it. And she just wants to broad, broaden up the topic as to how we, how we might help them deal with it. Like if you have a young person in your life and all they want to do is get out Saturday night and party. You have to understand that that's what they want to do.
2: The Court's 96FM Music Panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now.
1: Take the 10 minute survey And you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher The
2: power to pick what we play Pick what we
1: play Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel Find the link on
2: Instagram, Facebook and Twitter Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter Or see 96FM.ie I haven't moved house
3: myself in many years I think 2004 was the last time we moved And to be honest with you (laughs) <laughs> I ain't moving anytime soon. And I never forget, forget the stress of it. It is really stressful. And and I guess if you're renting, it's worse, because you don't know when you're going to be moving next, when you're going to have to move next, and you might just recover from the stress of one move, and then you got to take on another. Deirdre put up a Facebook status during the week um, about how precarious and how tiring renting might be. Dee, good morning to you.
17: Morning, DJ, how are you?
3: Good. Uh, trying. I, I, I don't ever again want to move house unless I absolutely have to. How many times have you had to move?
17: Uh, right, well, this, this is my ninth move in three and a half years. Oh, you poor team. Yeah, and I had one period where I had four house moves in five months.
3: What? Yeah. Pack up the bags, boxes. Yeah. Get- yeah.
17: So I'm, I'm just unpacking. I, I just actually moved out yesterday slash this morning and I'm just unpacking again, which hopefully I'll get to stay here for a year. But um, the lady that I'm after taking a house here, with, she was in the same position with me. She'd been renting somewhere actually for eight years and got four weeks notice despite having rights of, and um, she should have gotten at least six months notice that a family member was taking the house that she lived in. And sorry, tough, but out. So we're after finding a place together to we both have dogs as well. And um, so that's obviously incredibly difficult. And I understand people don't want dogs in their house, but I was willing to pay like an extra two months deposit. And in the whole of Cork last month, there was five properties accepting pets and two of them were proper west as in Skibbereen and Bantry and as as I need to be in the city centre that was that was not an option and so yeah there's like like, as uh, I'm a self-employed person um, it's very difficult for me to get a mortgage particularly in COVID time so I don't really have any any option but
3: to rent. I'm tired just listening to you. Stressed just I'm, I'm pretty
17: exhausted myself, now I must say.
3: You're, you're talking to someone here, D, who, who hates the prospect of moving one set of wardrobes from <laughs> one bedroom to the other.
17: <laughs> well, on the positive, on, on, on the time that I did the four house moves in five months, I, I shed about 50% of everything I owned by move four because I was like, right, that's
3: it. <laughs> What do I need? What do I
17: really actually need? So as it stands, I drive a medium-sized van and I can fit everything I own, including all my musical instruments, in two van loads.
3: But aside from the the laugh we're having, it must be very stressful.
17: Uh, It's unbelievably stressful. Like You don't know if you're going to be here in three months' time or six months' time, so obviously planning for anything planning a holiday, planning just, you know, basic, normal day-to-day life, things can't really be done because you don't know if you're going to have a house in another month. But as they,
4: don't, as they don't you don't sign
3: some, this is a really take ignorant question, forgive me, don't you sign some kind of a contract telling you when ha. and how long you have the house?
17: Ha, 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 in a perfect world, yes. Yeah. So the last property I was in was actually a completely illegal tenancy. We weren't registered at the PRTB. It wasn't registered with uh, Threshold, and um, there was all sorts of all sorts of shenanigans going on to do with um, defaulting on mortgage and uh, dodgy revenue happenings as you're caught in
3: the middle of it all.
17: Yeah, um, but at the time that was the only other that was the only option that I had available because I, I actually spent four days sleeping in a hotel. At Christmas time last year so when this house came up in January even though it was dodgy and everything it was (laughs) it was better than a hotel and like my issue wasn't that I didn't have cash like I I did actually have cash and I had money for a deposit you know I have a pretty regular stable job considering I'm a musician because I'm I'm privileged that I have good solid employment with them with the state school. Um, but there was just no properties for it to rent. So, yeah, myself and my dog, Russell, spent five nights at a hotel last
3: Christmas. (laughs) For Christmas night itself, like?
17: Um, I was going to stay with family on Christmas Day itself, but, yeah, we checked out of the hotel on the 25th of December.
3: Oh, my goodness.
17: We've been there since the 20th.
3: So, where you've just moved into now, what level of certainty, if any, have you got?
17: Um, None. Wow. Yeah, none. Uh, I could be given my notice again in a month. I might hopefully get to stay here for six. But, yeah, none, really.
3: I wouldn't sleep.
17: No. <laughs> you kind of just have to adjust and get used to it. Like, I'm, I'm a fairly positive, upbeat person most of the time. And um, I was definitely some sort of cat in a former life. I always managed to just about swing something together at the last minute. But there was a couple of times or right, I two summers ago where uh, I would say between moves and there was a shortfall of a couple of days where I was sleeping in my van.
3: Wow. That yeah. must be very upsetting when you're sitting there in the van with just you and the dog.
17: Well, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be personal. To, I'm quite an outdoor person anyway, so i I'd go somewhere pretty like Robert's Cove, so I'd have a nice view. But it's, it's not that uh, I, I'm safe enough, like, as, as a girl with, with, with the, with the dog in a, in a van because he will let me know if there's anything coming or whatever. But, but besides that, it's how do you wash your clothes? Like, I, I was still going to work and I obviously don't want anyone knowing, you know, at work that I was sleeping in a van at the time. So like having to drop bags of clothes to good friends' houses to get them to wash it because a lot of my friends have cats and children and they weren't able to put me up. And, you know, a lot of my friends would be in similar positions as well where they were in dodgy rental. So, yeah, the options were
3: wow. very limited. Well, well all, I, all I can say is that I hope that where you have now put down your bag and baggage is a place you can set some kind of a route, for a while at least.
17: Well, we're, we're, I'm, I'm kind of having a laugh at the girl I've moved in. We're we're both kind of into energy and healing work, and uh, I'm after... Like, today is my first day here, and it's it's a full moon, so we'll probably have some sort of witching covenant and say a few spells that we'll get to stay here now for at least a Sit the out
3: sit the back with wine and howl at the moon. <laughs> I if was that, if that doesn't get you evicted, nothing night. will. <laughs> 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 and I'm joking <laughs> and I shouldn't. Dee, great talking to you and good luck, alright?
17: Thanks, DJ. The
3: Opinion Line
2: with PJ Coogan on courts 96FM
3: Not so sure about them sunny spells. Hope they'll come in the afternoon. I'm looking out the window here and there's cloud clinging so close to the ground in some parts of the city that you'd lose the top half of a double-decker bus in it. Still, hopefully it'll clear. It is the 1st of October after all. 1850-715-996 is the number. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96 with the hashtag of OL96. Contact through Facebook, the Cork's 96fm Facebook page. And please address your message for the attention of the opinion line on friendship. D says, a great call. I do believe if you're counting friends, then maybe you need to take up a hobby try something new that can fill the void in your life at any age. I also believe, pick the phone up to someone. It just might make their day. That's true. That's very true, D, Pick up the phone. You don't normally deal with this person on the phone. You don't normally contact them on the phone. But do it. You'd never know. It might be the best thing that happens in their day. Now, I've been talking over the last few weeks and months about masks, and I've told you many times, I hate the bloody things. I carry one around all the time. I have them in the car. I have them in the pocket. I have them wherever they're supposed to be, and we wear them whenever we're supposed to wear them. Never will go into light them, but always wear them. But there's been some unpleasant scenes uh, in various places where one individual sort of confronts another as to why you're not wearing your mask. there's other questions that we ask ourselves, like, what do I do when I'm wearing my mask and something happens? Or how do I know when I should wear my mask? What is the etiquette of wearing a mask? It's changed everything, because all you can see is a person's eyes. You can't see their facial expression. You don't know how to read their gestures because they're wearing a mask. It's, it's, it's the change, and, and it's here for a while. It's led to some very unpleasant stuff. I will get to that in a minute. But there's been a recent attempt um, to explain mask etiquette by, of all people, Bloomberg News.
15: So experts stress that figuring out a new way of going about etiquette during the time of a pandemic is going to take some time for everyone to get used to. So really have some compassion for yourself and take it easy on other people, too, because we're all trying to figure this out together. And let's talk about some specific scenarios. What do you do if someone goes in for a hug? If you're six feet away from someone, it's hard for them to jump out and lunge at you. You can always sort of make a joke, say, oh, I, I haven't touched anyone for five months. I'm keeping the street going. A little humor can really go a long way to alleviate any kind of tension. And how do you handle asking someone to wear a mask? If it's someone that you're friends with and is coming into your home or that you're going on a social engagement with, you know, you can just ask them politely to wear a mask, say that you're really worried about the virus, you want to protect them and yourself. If you're out in public and someone isn't wearing a mask, um, it gets a little harder in terms of asking them to wear a mask. Some experts that I talked with suggested to remove yourself and focus on what you can control. One thing the experts really stressed is that you have to set boundaries for yourself sometimes. You have to do what's best for you and what you're most comfortable with. So if you're ever uncomfortable with a plan or with the social engagement, you can say no and you can step away from it.
3: A lot of common sense in that. And again, it comes back to the whole personal responsibility. If you're not comfortable in the space, get out of the space. Therese McCullough, Melia, we've talked to you before, Therese, from the yes, Etiquette Academy. How are you? Morning, Good. You. And yourself? Great altogether. Things have changed, like that little piece says there. A simple thing. Exactly. so Someone calls to visit you at home or you go to visit somebody else's house. How do you know whether they want you to wear a mask or not?
12: Well, I think. Prior to going, you need to find out what the situation is. You need to know um, how many are going to be there, how many people are expected. Uh, are masks going to be worn? And where is it going to be held? Is it going to be held inside or outside the gathering? Because that's also important with our climate getting uh, rather cooler at mm. the moment. You want to actually turn up inappropriate clothes. And if you feel that, you know, it's not for you, it's perfectly all right to say no. As it's back to we have to take care of ourselves and we have to make our own boundaries. And it's not being, you're not being rude. You're just, you know, watching out for yourself, but you're also protecting other people.
3: These are questions that have to be acceptable to ask in these times, aren't they?
12: Exactly. They have to be. And people have to understand and they can't take anything personal out, but they just have to realize that we're all in this together. That we all have to accept different boundaries and different rules now, and that you just—it's acceptable to ask these questions.
3: You know, we're now supposed to wear a mask in a shop or any yes. kind of a space like that, and some yes. people just don't want to or don't like to. Is it—is it just if, if out of politeness, then out of nothing else, should you wear one going into Tesco's? Just suck it up and wear it. Yes.
12: Or, or you can wear a visor. And there's lots of different ones now. People are being very inventive with new types of um, visors and masks and whatever. So look around if you feel like the actual cloth mask or the ordinary mask is not for you. There's lots of varieties now. So as I say, if you're, if you're unhappy with that, have a look and see what else is available. Because people are being very inventive.
3: Is it the height of rudeness to just say I couldn't be bothered?
12: It is, yeah, I'm afraid. You're not, you're not um, showing respect for other people and that's what it's all about. You're not respecting the other person, the other people and you never know, somebody could, you know, be related to or have a serious illness themselves and the fact that you don't wear a mask and you may be the person that has the virus because that's something we also need to consider. Yeah. We can't see it We can't feel it, we can't smell it, or we can't touch it. It's invisible. And because of that, when we meet people, we have to just automatically assume that they have the virus.
3: Do you have the right to walk up to someone, and I have a piece of tape here, which I might play in just a sec, but to walk up to somebody in a supermarket or anywhere else and say, why are you not wearing a mask? Please put a mask on.
12: No, no. Um, it's, up to, it's up to the um, shop owner um, to enforce their rules if they have written up clearly that masks should be worn it's up to them to have a staff member that actually approaches that person it's not up to you as uh, you know, a customer to have to approach anybody and ask them to do that and just you know, for your own protection, avoid them as best you can yeah.
3: like, Is it rude to do it?
12: It is it is rude, you know, because it's not really, how would I say, it's not really your... your
3: Business? Remit.
12: Yeah. They, they have clearly, you know, taken this upon themselves. They're showing irresponsibility. But you're only going to kind of get into a Barney with them. And you'll end up leaving the store feeling worse than they will ever feel, you know? Well, I'll
3: play a quick piece of this, Therese because yep. the audio on it the audio quality isn't isn't great. I think this comes from Scotland from a supermarket. Okay. It was captured on a mobile phone. This if you can imagine the situation where a young woman I think, think there're two of them are confronting an elderly man who's pushing a supermarket trolley around has no mask on and they're confronting him to see why he hasn't got his mask on. Have a quick listen to okay. this.
18: Okay.
3: I actually had the scenario a little bit. They are not wearing the mask. He was confronting them. Oh, right. And they turned on him like that.
12: Yes. Yeah. You see, that's, what, that's what, what happens. And then there's all yelling and screaming. And actually, they're spraying the whole area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so if, they, if they have the virus, they're spreading it to everyone by all of this. So these are the things that we need to kind of take on board. And it's best, no, not to. Because they could even be, you know, quite nasty, which could turn into a really, you know, quite yeah. dangerous scenario. Well, that's what happened there. He,
3: he was going around with his mask on and his few bits yeah. inside in the trolley. They had no masks on. He went to ask them why not. And they just turned on him.
12: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he'd have been, no he'd have been best therapy.
3: advised to just walk on, would he? Yeah,
12: exactly. And to, you know, stay as far away as possible from them as you're going past. That's the best thing.
3: Mm. What in these times, Therese, if someone goes in for a hug or a handshake? (laughs) And this could be someone you know well.
12: I know. Well, what I would advise is that you kind of sight it in advance as you see them approaching, say, I'm not going to hug you, I'm going to blow you a kiss. Yeah. Just so that they know as they're coming towards you, that you say no, I'm not going to hug you.
3: I'm just going
12: to blow you a kiss. Yeah. Or Thank the other you. one is,
3: as happened me recently with a friend that I haven't seen for a long, 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 long time. time. Can I hug you? I know. You know, yes. and I now I, I did, I did, I did because yes, the person is in the uh, is in a profession where they would be very, very careful about the of sanitary course. matters of of, of COVID nineteen. So I figured yes. if this person isn't safe for me to hug, nobody is.
12: I know, I know. And, no, I can well understand how, how you would in those rare occasions. But it is awful, like, you're, you're attending maybe a funeral or a wedding or a party or whatever, and you desperately want to hug the person. But it's just not, you know, it's best not to.
3: Yeah. All right. Listen, always good to talk to you. Therese mccullough Melia from the Etiquette Academy. You'll find them on the web. Thanks, Therese. So it is not your business to walk up to someone in the shop and confront them about wearing a mask. And you see, the thing is, you could end up in a situation like this. I got the scenario a small bit, Ask ways because it's a day or two since I saw the video. So this is a guy in a shop, pushing his trolley around with his mask on. And these two young ones have no mask on. And he has asked them why they're not wearing their mask and please put one on. And this is what he got in reply. (laughs) That, that was, it, it actually got worse. It got worse. The audio was terrible. But in the end, they tried to crowd around his trolley and he pushed through them. And you'd swear that he'd he shot one of them. And she screamed oh and roared.
4: God.
3: All he had done, all he had done was push past her. That's all he had done. And she drew town around her. But she hadn't been wearing a mask, and he was, and he went to confront her in a shop. It's rude to, is it rude to drop a nod in a wink while you're wearing a mask? It's not like you can see a smile. You know, Kev, that's the weirdest thing. Standing at the counter in a shop with a few bits and pieces in your hand, and you're called next. You know, it's customary to smile at the attendant. And as you walk up you go, why have I just smiled? She can't see my face. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Calder says Trades is wrong. It is my business. If I feel someone is in my space without a mask and I can't get away, I politely will ask if they could put one on. It isn't rude to try to save my life. COVID kills, don't forget that. Mags says, or Megs says, I've gotten very good at politely asking people, particularly those in queues, to step back if they're too close. Genuinely, some people get so close, I'm always giving them a pee (laughs) back. And Jackie, why can't children in school wear visors? My child is off school, sick, over wearing a mask. Off school, sick, over wearing a mask? That's an interesting one, Jackie. Not saying I doubt you. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. But would you confront someone in a supermarket or wherever that wasn't wearing a mask? Like you're going around doing your bits and pieces and there they are with no mask on. Would you confront them? Or do you think it's the job of the shop to do it? Then again, as I mentioned earlier in the week, and I won't name the shop. Because I don't think it's on its own anyway. But staff in a particular store that I know well have been told under no circumstances are you to refuse anybody's service or even challenge people who are not wearing a mask. Now they have a sign on the door, the face covering sign that the HSE has out there. Please wear a face covering. Please wear a mask. But if someone doesn't, staff in the shop have been told, don't confront them. Don't confront them. We can't legally. Figure that one out for yourself. And also we had a bus driver WhatsApp us during the week to say he's seen teenagers in particular getting on the bus with the mask and then down the back take off the mask and it's a great laugh and he's been told by his union don't confront them don't challenge them. So what is the point of having those guidelines if you can't enforce them? I saw eight teenagers in Merchants Quay not wearing a mask says Bernie. Inside the shopping centre, you have to. People were asking me that recently. Do you wear them in the shop or do you have to wear them? Once you go inside the door of a shopping centre, you have to be wearing the mask. And Bernie was told by a security guard that they wouldn't approach them.
1: Why? The
2: opinion line on courts 96 FM
1: with the indoor self-service laundrette now at the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying. Done within an hour. Self-service <laughs> for 20 minutes of the best music mix Non-stop. And everything Cork Ken Tobin On Cork's
3: 96FM I'm playing new music all this week From the likes of Joel Corey, DJ Regard and more We hear from the stars Joel Ipa, your career highlights so far
1: Um, oh wow Um, I did Glastonbury Which is a massive milestone for me at home
3: Nile
2: Horan, how many Canadians do you have on your phone? Justin Bieber, Shawn Mendes, Sinead Twain, Michael Bublé. Sh- off. Don't forget our daily Facebook question, and I play Cork's best music mix online on your smart speaker, the Corks 96 FM app, and on FM. Ken Tobin, weekdays from midday, with
1: the White Rabbit Bar and Barbecue, a brand new look with the same great food and service. See White Rabbit.ie.
2: Corks 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text
1: or WhatsApp now. 0833
2: 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Reminder of Premier League
3: live online this afternoon or this weekend rather on Cork's 96 FM. Join Trevor Welsh on Saturday on 96m.ie or on the app For the Premier League Live, exclusively online, powered by TalkSport. This Saturday, live commentary of Chelsea versus Crystal Palace at half past 12. Everton v. Brighton at 3. Leeds v. Man City at half 5. And Newcastle against Burnley at 8 o'clock. The Premier League Live online. Listen every Saturday by downloading the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. We first spoke about long COVID on this programme. God, it's over a month ago now. Now, some other programmes are talking about it as if they just discovered it, but we had our first couple of cases of long COVID on the opinion line. I would safely say no later than the end of August, uh, maybe very early September at a stretch. And now, everybody's talking about it, and people are coming out to say, come here, thankfully I'm not on my own. I got sick months ago. Uh, Katrina is from McCroom. Katrina, good morning.
16: Morning. How when, are you?
3: I'm not too bad. How are you more to the point?
16: <laughs> still still suffering.
3: <laughs> when did you first get COVID?
16: Um, I was tested on the 27th of March. Okay. Um, and I don't, to this day, don't know where I got it from. Because... I shut my shop on the 14th of March, and the only I didn't—the only thing I did was went to get food shopping. Um, in that length of time, and I did everything we were told to do. I cleaned my hands, I sanitized my hands, I washed my hands. I don't know where I got it from, but I suffered with it, and I'm still suffering with
3: it. W- were you sick when you went for the test? Yeah.
16: yeah. Uh it took me an hour and a half to drive 20 minutes from my house. Because of the temperature, the hot sweat, the cough, the feeling weak. Um, I I drove myself to the test because I knew in my heart and soul, I knew I had it. Um, Simply because I was so bad. I mean, I had that bug that everyone says, oh, I had the bug at Christmas. I must have had it. I had the temperature and I had the thing. The bug at Christmas was nothing like COVID.
3: Yeah. It's
16: it's 10 times worse.
3: Wow. You went for the test, and how quickly did you get your result?
16: I didn't get my results until the four, the twelfth of April, which was the Tuesday morning after the Easter Bank holiday weekend. What? Yeah, no, I was, I was, I wasn't. Did you isolate
3: oh, yourself in the meantime?
16: Oh, I did. I mean, the the, the Wednesday before I got my test done, um, I said to my husband, "Look, I'm I'm not feeling great." But I thought it was just pure stress and relief from closing my shop and getting the girls sorted and rent and bank loans and everything, getting all that sorted. I thought, okay, now I can breathe. Yeah. And I thought it was just exhaustion for that. So I went into bed on the Wednesday and I said, right, I'll take a day. The kids are happy. Everything is okay, grand. Thursday, I got a bit of a cough and I rang the doctor. I was tested on Friday at 2 o'clock. And at this point, I was at home. I had told everybody what was going on and we stood, we stayed at home, we we, we hid at home, and Greg's mum was dropping milk and bread at the end of the lane, and we got on with it, and then on the 4th of April, I came out with a rash from head to toe, Um we were all at home, and I was saying, so I rang the doctor, and she said, oh, all no, the, the rash isn't part of the symptoms that we know of, Yeah. but we'll give you some steroids. So I took the steroids, um, on the Saturday and thing, and then on Monday she rang and she said, Oh, Christina, come here. The rash is part of it now, they're saying. And I was like, okay, I'm feeling a bit better. But if I, at that point over the weekend, I had said to my husband, if it's a case you need to ring the ambulance for me over the weekend, you you leave a note on the front door and you take the kids and you leave the house. Yeah. Because I didn't want my kids seeing me getting into... The back of an ambulance. You were you
3: were frightened. I think of that state.
16: At that point, I was. I presume I was hallucinating because of the, the temperature. But I was having drink. I was waking up, going, "Am I alive? Am I okay? Am I?" You know, I was in the bed and I was sweating. I like, I completely threw. I threw away everything on the bed. The duvet went. The mattress protector went. The whole lot went. After this, because I was like, I don't even want to think about it. Mm. How, you how
3: was your breathing?
16: I was in the bed and I was. <laughs> it was, it was laboured, um, you know, and it was it was worrying. I yeah. had never felt anything like this, um, you know. And i i I've, I've had my fair share of flus. I've had all kinds of things. Nothing normally knocks me like this did. I mean, I've worked through. All kinds of things.
3: Yeah, and and I how had, long did it take you, Katrina, to actually be physically well enough to get out of the bed and attempt to, to restart any kind of work?
16: It was mi- the middle of May.
3: Wow! So that's what yeah. six six weeks.
16: Like even now at the moment, I can't well, I can't wash my own hair still because the energy it takes to go into the shower. I still have a stool in the shower. Oh, at the first, of here. October. And the first of all, I have to put a stool in the shower because I physically can't spend long enough in the shower, standing up to do what we have to do. Shave the legs, do it all the bits. And even if I thought about trying to put my two hands up over my head to wash my hair, I can't. I just got go to hairdresser once a week to get my hair washed because I physically can't manage it.
3: And I, how do you mean? Is it that you just don't have the energy to hold them up?
16: I, I just get so tired. I get so tired, if we, just going for a shower a shower, if I would, was to try and wash my hair it would wipe me out for a couple of hours. I'd have to lie down and go for, go to bed for, and I wouldn't sleep. I' just have to lie down.
3: Yeah, somebody has said that to me in the course of this. It's not like you feel really tired and really washed out, and you think, right, if I can only get into my bed now and sleep for a couple of hours, but the sleep doesn't come.
16: No, the sleep doesn't come. Wow. The sleep does not come. it's just pure exhaustion
3: yeah so tired yeah. you can't sleep
16: yeah yeah wow and I mean I would have worked I have I have worked through the night putting up like last Christmas I was doing 16, 18 hour days putting up Christmas decorations for people but I I, I don't think I'll be physically able to do that this year I'm taking on an extra person to help because I know I'm not going to be able to yeah. you know I was I was I'm always the mum on the run I put on over a stone and a half because I'm not doing the work I used to do before because I can't, I physically can't.
3: And I take it you kept in touch with your doctor throughout
1: all oh, of yeah. this. Oh
16: yeah. yes, I was only at the doctor there just before this, um, because I'm now getting tinnitus and ear infections, which I never in my life had. Okay. Um, and I still get chest pains. It's like it's like the ba- the band of my bra is too tight. It's that kind of feeling, but it's not that, because even if I take off the bra, the pain is still there. It just feels like my ribs are tight. But the pain is still there. But according to my x-rays and according to my blood tests and according to everything, I'm perfectly fine. Yet you're not. (laughs) Yes, I'm not.
3: And have you been tested for the virus? Is it still in your system? Is it gone?
16: They're saying that it's gone now. Um, like, I got tested again in July because I had a bit of a cough and it came back positive and there was a panic. And I went into the hospital and I had blood tests, x-rays, third COVID test, that came back positive and And uh, Dr. Carroll in the head of infectious diseases in CUH rang me personally and said, OK, Katrina, this is the situation. You're not actually positive. It's a false positive. The, vir- the dead virus is in your system and um, you're not contagious. That was my biggest fear. I was like, yeah. oh my God, my kids, oh my God, oh my mm. God. She was like, no. And like this was a Saturday night at 7 o'clock she was ringing me um, saying, look, you're not contagious, you're fine. It's just the virus is dead in your system and you're, this cough is expelling it out of your lungs.
3: Katrina, do you so th- worry that, that your faculties, as it were, might not come back?
16: I'm never going to be the same woman again. And I know that. I, that I've, I've resigned myself to that mentally. Now, this is not just a physical virus. It's a mental one as well, because I, I beat myself up every day because I can't do all the physical things I used to do before. Yeah. Um. I can't work the hours I used to work before, you know, and I can't run around. I, I need extra staff now to help me with the shop. I can't do the hoovering. Even to hoover the house at home, I'm exhausted after it. You know, the kids are helping me more and more now with stuff at home because they know, you know, and they know that I'm tired. Like I didn't hug my kids for three and a half weeks when I was sick the first time, yeah. and the second time when I was in for the the second test and the third one, I was saying, "Oh my God, here we go again. I can't hug my kids. My kids hug me. If I go to the shop for milk, they'll hug me. Yeah. You know, they're big, they're big huggers, and." I didn't hug them or my husband for three and a half weeks, and that's the hardest thing. And to know now that, to you know, yeah, like my my father died at, far, at 39 years of age, and here I am at far, just after turning 40, and I'm going, oh Lord, here we go again. I was 16 when my father died. My daughter's now four, 16. And I'm like, please don't let history repeat look, hopefully,
3: hopefully Hopefully, it's, history it's won't, office. you know. Hopefully, oh, it, you,
16: it won't. Yeah. But it's a mental thing as well. Like, yeah. people think, and then people can say, oh, I had COVID, and you'll see them step back. There's a stigma about it. And then people, other people will say, oh, you couldn't have had COVID. She'll look at you, you're grand. I actually had to physically show somebody my test results on a piece of paper going, yes, I did have COVID because they were like, no, it's French, it's only a flu. And I was like, it's not a flu.
3: It's It's anything but a flu. I wish people would just stop that nonsense now. It is not a flu. No,
16: it's not a flu. I mean, they looked at me when I said look there, there's my test results on black and white from the doctor, if you want to read them. I've had COVID and this thing is not a flu.
3: And what's worse is it's not going away and it's done you what you fear might be permanent damage. Have you come across others in your situation,
16: There there is a group, um, Covid Cases Ireland, it was set up by Claire Nora, and thanks be to God I found it um, back in June, because if I hadn't, I'd have probably, I don't know, because I was having so many different things, I was going is it Covid, isn't it Covid, and then I found the support group and other people, there's 600, as of this morning, 683 people on that group that have have had Covid, and are all Putting up saying, "Oh look, lads, I'm feeling like this today." Anybody else? And it's helping me because you know now there's probably people around my room that have had COVID as well. Mm. I have, I don't know them because people aren't talking out about it because there's such a stigma about having had COVID, having COVID. Um people have stood back from me, and I can't blame them for standing from for standing back from me, and going, "Oh Jesus." Do you know, because I'd probably be the same if I hadn't had it and don't realize, didn't realise how bad this thing is
3: Katrina I've been talking during the week and we've been focusing yeah. a lot on people partying and you know we know that for the vast majority of us this will mm-hmm. be a relatively mild illness where we'll, we'll feel crap for a week and a half maybe two weeks or maybe not at all
7: mm-hmm.
3: and then we'll move on but we don't know the person that we might accidentally pass it on to who'll end up like you. What would you take to say to someone who thinks, listen, this is only an old flu. I'll be grand in a few days. What of it? What would you say to that person, Katrina?
16: Think twice because it could be your mum. It could be your sister. It could be your brother. It could be your nan, granddad, uncle. It could be your best friend in the world. And... You might be, you might have the flu for a week, as you think it is, but that person could be like me, and not able to live the way they want. that one month is where they want to live because I'm going to live with it the, the way they used now. to.
13: Yeah, can't but wash not, your hair.
16: I'm not able to do what I used to be able to do. Do you know?
3: Yeah. Um, Six you know, months later.
16: Yeah six months later like I don't know where I'm going to be in 12 months so I'm enjoying it now I mean I took my kids away for the weekend because they didn't get their camping like we normally spend three weeks every year camping if not four weeks if we can biking and swimming and all that kind of thing they didn't get that this year they didn't leave the house this year so I took them away for the weekend and I normally I'm not a big water person I did the water rapid with them and I did all the things in the water and they wanted to go ziplining. I wouldn't be a great person now to be putting up a tree, zip lining, but I did it because I don't know where I'll be next year. Yeah. So that's the one thing I have learned. I'm going to enjoy now with them because I don't know where I'll be in a couple of months time.
3: Do in you feel end- any improvement in yourself day to day, week to week?
16: Every day is different. I could have a flying couple of days and I'm, like, bouncing off the walls and I'm, everything is going great and then I'll wake some morning and I'm like, no, I can't. I can, I can hardly get out of bed. Wow. Do you know? There's... Wow. But I, I have no choice. I have four kids to get to <laughs> school. I have to get up. But I, I'll have to text my girls in the shop and say, look, lads, I can't physically do... Whatever needs to be done today, there could be a wedding on, They could be whatever. I I do the bare minimum that I can do. And in fairness to four girls, they pick up the slack for me for them. because they know what it's like. For them. But I'm still worried that the other side of it, one of those girls is going to get this from somewhere. We don't know where. And they could feel like I am.
13: And so,
3: you, you wouldn't wish it on anybody by the sounds of it. No, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. All right, listen, Katrina, uh, all I can say is I hope I hope that sometime soon it works itself out of your system and, and that you get back as much of your health as, as you can. Uh, lovely talking to you, and as I said, I wish you and the family well. That's Katrina Healy O'Brien uh, in uh, McCroomway, uh, florist, mother of four, and now, after six months after... Her diagnosis, and six months after spending the bones of two weeks in bed, she actually can't, almost can't get out of the bed. Uh, and she some some days, and she can't wash her hair in the shower. She's had to put a, a stool into the shower, a chair into the shower, so that she can uh, sit to do what uh, what needs to be done in the shower. Eighteen fifty seven one five. Nine You're talking about masks, says this message. The real story you should be looking at is the price of electricity rising today. By the ESB. Okay. A lesson, if someone wants to call us about that. Absolutely. Anyone experiencing an air outage in the area near or in Cahargal Park in Ballyvalan? We weren't notified of any works.
2: This is Courts gold imro award-winning talk show the opinion line with pj coogan text
1: or WhatsApp now OE33969696. 96
2: 96 on courts 96 fm
3: there's a scam we're being told going around where they call you saying to buy stock in apple it sounds really great it's a scam if someone rang me and said we'd like to buy shares in Apple, I'd wonder what the hell would they do with my number? And they'd know just how much money I don't have for buying shares in Apple. But there is a scam going around and it's probably very convincing so beware of that. And also Ken O'Flynn has told a listener to the show that the situation that was pertaining during COVID where you could get someone, nominate someone to collect your pension, that has now been extended by a further 15 weeks. So... A lot of people were concerned about that coming to an end. There's chaos at the roundabout in Silver Springs. Uh, there's, to, please avoid the new traffic light coming off the dual carriageway because there's mayhem there. 1850 715 Roy Buckley, good morning to you. Hey, you
18: doing? How's it going?
3: I'm all right. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Let's, very kind, yeah. let's start at the very start. I first heard you sing the old man on Patrick Street in the Pav, uh to be a, a few years ago now, and I went up to you and I said, whose song is that? And you looked at me and you said, that's my bloody song. Whose song do you think it is? You wrote it a long time ago and it took you ages to get it on disc. Why?
18: Well, it, it took so long for a number of reasons. It was just, you know, getting in the studio and everything took some time, but... Um Mainly because um, my great pal uh, Lawrence White was was producing an album for me, and sadly um, passed away in the middle. You know, he was only forty six. He yeah. got a heart attack, and um, you know he he didn't he didn't get get come out the other side of it. So um, the whole thing yesterday about um, you know the Grammys and stuff, the, the nicest thing about it was it came on Lawrence's. Um, 4th anniversary. Fourth anniversary.
3: Yes. Yesterday was the anniversary. Yeah, it
18: couldn't, couldn't have uh, walked out on a better day, you know. So I yeah. think maybe the big man was looking down on us,
3: you know. You, and he was a big man. You'd, ne- you'd, you'd never... That, that, that's in- serendipity, to say the least. Now, you went on to have it produced by Keith and Aiden and that's right. mastered by right, a Grammy Award-winning um, master, Adam Ayan. But yeah. tell us about the, the, the process. You're, you're up for Song of the Year and for Record of the Year. Now. The shortlist is the next stage. You're now into the voting stage. That alone in itself took a bit of work. How did you get yeah, uh, to that stage?
18: Um. Well, there's a, there's a guy in um, San Francisco who heard it called um, Ryan McSweeney, uh, Ryan Music. And, uh, you know, <laughs> like PJ, had to tell you, this was this the first thing in my mind. I, I didn't know <laughs> the song was going to be going for... Grammy consideration at all um, and I got a call from uh, from Ryan saying that he loved the song and wanted to put it forward so that was, uh, that was a good a good way well back and they got to the stage now where um, it has been shortlisted so I, I, um, I don't know PJ to be honest with you I wasn't really expecting
13: the yeah, role, you're, you
3: know? you're, 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 you're speechless this has gone into the voting process the yeah. people who vote for the Grammy Awards will now have your name the name of your song on their list.
18: Yeah, so they already, they already got that. So now it's it's, it's officially uh, on the ballot. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I think <laughs> You're
3: there. speechless. I, and not only that, but you, Ill, you, have, you, know? <laughs> you have another song coming out on Monday.
18: Yeah, so the timing couldn't have been better. You know, I, I have a song called Dark Rosaline coming out on, on the 5th of, um, of October, which is... Um, you know, it seems to be getting a bit of attention already as well. So, uh, it's a bit, of, it's a bit of big,
3: and it's a year though, you had to practically give up the gigging. Your, gig is on, your gigs are online now. You were touring when COVID hit, and had to come home from the states.
18: Yeah, I mean, for for such a year, but like I mean, the arts industry, the entertainment industry, has been decimated this year. So, um, for things like this to happen in such a bad year, you know. It's it's really nice, PJ. But um, I do feel for like all, all my my colleagues and my pals in the yeah in the in industry. The, in the yeah, industry like
3: you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that that know. line is not going to work for us, right? Uh, wherever you are today, but that's okay because I want to play the song. Uh, it's I I you're, you've come an awful long way from teenage young man, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah.
18: congratulations to you, my friend. PJ, thanks so much, man. It's it's just sorry if, if the line is bad here or not. But um, look, ha, I have come a long way from 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 you know doing my thing when I was a kid. But it's just I, I do feel bad for all my, my colleagues in, yeah. in the entertainment world, you know, who are all out of work or everything. And I'm hoping to see them all it, it, when we come out the other side of this, and whether it's Ireland or abroad. So I'm looking forward to to, to getting back to that as well. Yeah but I'm not certainly not overlooking what's going on at the moment. Um,
3: okay. It's, you know. Well, congratulations, Roy. I'm going to give the song a good lash for you now and you never know where it goes from here. Roy Buckley from Cork, singer-songwriter, nominated for a Grammy Award for The Old Man on Patrick Street. What else could we do? Only play it. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Fergal. See you tomorrow just after nine.
13: He's there in the sun and he is there in the rain all the lines on his face Showing his pain Nothing to live for him Nothing to gain and Every day in his life Is all just the same For the old man On Patrick Street He's walking the street his hands all wrinkled and his hair is snow white, a champion fighter one time in his life, but nobody cares about old box and fights. He's the old man on Patrick Street. I'm done For the moon and the stars of the night When his wife left him, we tore apart But he found a new lover, keeps him warm in the dark She's Nancy Whiskey, he keeps her close to his heart He's the old man on Patrick Street I saw him last weekend, man he got Clothes, a story untold, asleep on a bench out in the cold. Nancy beside him, the woman in gold, he's the old man on Patrick's tree